A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Quality of news coverage at the CBC is a topic that I can occasionally get some people somewhat interested in. But even here on this podcast that began as a show solely focusing on Canadian media, there's just like a limited appetite for that topic. I care a lot about it. Some of you do too, you know, in small doses. And others let me know, it's enough already, Jesse. Give it a rest already with the CBC fixation. And then last week, it seemed like all of a sudden, everyone cared about the quality of CBC News a lot. And I'm not just talking about this show's listeners. And I'm not just talking about Canadians. I am talking about the New York Post, Fox News, the Daily Mail in London, Big-name American journalists like Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, all of these people all around the world were suddenly up in arms about how the public broadcaster's news coverage just isn't what it used to be. Fox News reported on claims that the CBC abandoned integrity. The New York Post ran claims that the CBC has a radical political agenda. The Daily Mail in the UK ran quotes about the CBC's clickbait and woke worldview. Here in Canada, the Toronto Sun called the CBC a woke nightmare, and conservative politicians like Candace Bergen, Pierre Polyev, conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, they all got on board, and the hashtag DefundCBC once again trended nationally. So what the hell happened? What exactly did the CBC do last week 
to earn those international condemnations? Well, I wish I could tell you. The incitement was not a specific piece of failed reporting. There was no embarrassing journalistic error or, you know, like some revealing video clip of a CBC host accidentally exposing their political bias. No, what happened last week was this. A former CBC employee wrote a blog post. Her name is Tara Henley, and she went public with uh, kind of an open bridge-burning resignation letter. She published it on Substack, which many know about, but some do not. Journalists have been going independent through Substack where they can get paid by their readers in much the same way that many of you pay us to podcast. Henley's post was titled, Speaking Freely, Why I Resigned from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And in it, she identified herself as a journalist with 20 years experience who'd been at the CBC since 2013 and who had watched it go down the tubes. The problem, she wrote, is wokeness, a radical political agenda that has infected CBC's newsrooms. She said that to work at the CBC is to, quote, abandon journalistic integrity. To work at the CBC is to become less adversarial to the wealthy and powerful. If you want to work at the CBC, Henley wrote, you got to agree to not talk about a growing list of subjects. You need to shut down critical thinking. You need to keep your mouth shut and not ask questions. But she doesn't say what those forbidden topics or questions are or, or, or what you need to shut your mouth about. But there is one aspect that she singles out. One aspect, she says, of CBC's stifling wokeness. Race. Probably worth noting here that Tara Henley is white. She writes that at the CBC, journalists are required to, quote, accept the idea that race is the most significant thing about a person and that some races are more relevant to the public conversation than others. She complains that working at the CBC is to, quote, actively book more people of some races and less of others. She complains about having to track the ethnicities of the guests that she booked onto radio shows. She complains about a CBC story on gender identity issues in the Filipino community, writing that stories like that take resources away from the serious stories that a lefty journalist like herself would rather be covering. Hard news stories about labor, about housing, about the opioid crisis. But here's the thing. We looked online and we asked around and we couldn't find examples of Tara Henley doing that kind of news journalism. We spoke to several CBC journalists and nobody that we were able to talk to from the newsiest parts of the CBC, you know, national news, current affairs shows, the parliamentary bureau, those sorts of newsrooms. Nobody that we spoke to from those parts of the CBC had heard of her. And when Sarah Haji wrote a piece for Gawker going through Tara Henley's CBC bylines, the articles that she's written online, she found listicles. Things like uh, a list of the most fun bike paths in BC. Articles that were sponsored by the CBC's corporate partners. Advertorials. And so we had to wonder, is Tara Henley who she seems to be? If readers around the world read her essay and took from it, here is a veteran hard news CBC journalist who is no longer able to do her job because of wokeness, well... Is that true? 
Others were asking those questions about her as well, and a backlash to Tara Henley's viral essay quickly hit Twitter and elsewhere. You heard some of it right here on the last episode of Shortcuts, when Nora Loretto concluded that Henley is a grifter, somebody hustling, somebody pretending to be the victim of the radical left in order to launch their new media career as a darling of the reactionary right. And I don't know, uh, maybe. Look, this thing has gotten bigger than any Canadian media story in recent memory. But I still don't know what the hell it's about. The evidence is frankly lacking for every conclusion that's been reached. Like, what are the details of what exactly happened to Tara Henley at the CBC to lead her to her rather big conclusions about the CBC? Or on the other hand, if all of this is simply a cynical strategic PR ploy, well, what evidence is there for that? I still don't even really know who she is. So I booked her. And when I announced that I did, people were furious with us. That is not the kind of conversation I was told that we should be having here. Well, wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Emmett Rands. Graham Crawley, Denny Brown, Bilal Quadri, Bobby Christova, Joseph McPhee, Gregory Smith, and Stephen. Hello, I'm Stephen, an American physiotherapist living in Cornwall, Ontario. I support Canada Land because I believe in well-done, independent journalism. I also love credible criticism on the media, which, yes, includes how guests sometimes lambaste and wrestle with Jesse. Best of all for me, Canada Land has helped me learn more about my new country so that I can feel more at home north of the border. To that I say, thank you for your assistance. Tara, my goodness, there are some people who do not want me to talk to you today. I saw that on Twitter. I I saw that. Uh, Well, I'm glad to be speaking with you. I will confess that before this international media event, I was unfamiliar with your work. Fox News described you as a veteran CBC producer. Can you talk about the kind of work that you did at the CBC and tell us which CBC job you resigned from? Yes, thank you for asking me that. So I started at CBC in 2013 on George Strombolopoulos Tonight. I then went to CBC Local and I worked between a number of different shows, including Metro Morning. Uh, I then moved out to Vancouver. I worked in the Vancouver newsroom. I was in the producer pool. I worked on a number of different radio shows, including the early edition on the coast. Uh, I then burned out and then moved back to Toronto and was on Metro Morning and then Ontario Morning. I was also doing on-air segments occasionally. And for the last year, I was the books columnist for the Ontario region and also had produced in the past documentaries as well for the Sunday edition and day six. So I have worked all over the service. Um, I resigned from a contract, and there you have it. Why did you resign? Well, I had been feeling a lot of concerns for quite a long time about where things were headed with CBC. I was feeling an increasingly stifling atmosphere in the newsroom. I was getting quite concerned about sort of a one note on the national broadcaster. And I was starting to get a lot of feedback from the public. And I should say, like, 
I love the CBC. I grew up listening to the CBC. I considered it a huge honor to work at the CBC. I care very deeply about the direction of the CBC. And so when I started getting that feedback from the public pretty regularly that they were tuning out, they weren't feeling like they were hearing, you know, a broad range of voices on the broadcaster, um, it started to to be something that I thought about a lot. But I was pushing back for a long time before I made this decision. I did not make it lightly. I had no idea that it would become as big a story as it did. And the piece that I want to drive home most about all of this is that what I'm arguing here, I'm not arguing that I don't want to hear identity stories or cover identity stories. I'm arguing for a balance in coverage. You also say that CBC is like taken over by a radical political agenda. What is that political agenda? It's a funny thing, and I don't really know how to unpack it. And I've spent the last year and a half researching it and trying to understand what's going on. It seems to present as a far left. It seems to be the direction that the left is moving in. But I am far left, and it does not align with a lot of the concerns that I have, which are mainly about the material conditions of people's lives. And, you know, sort of the big issues like uh, income inequality and housing and, you know, precarious employment, which obviously I've experienced personally and firsthand. So these are the things I think that um, it's not that we don't cover them. Like there's a lot of good work being done in the building and there's a lot of good people in the building fighting for good journalism. It's not about that. It's about the balance of coverage. And I find that the balance has tipped towards these more identity stories and towards a collection of views that seem to be sort of the consensus on Twitter It does seem like the resources are going sort of more in that direction um, and less in the direction of some of the bigger picture stories, although it is a massive service. So that's what I was objecting to. That's what I was trying to start a conversation about. And I think that's what the public was really responding to. You're right. A lot of people in the public would say that they have a sense that the CBC has gotten too woke or too this or too that. But what you presented was an insider's perspective. You've been there for the better part of a decade, and you have, as you write, found the atmosphere so stultifying that you couldn't do your job as a journalist. But what I want to know, and I have to tell you, I didn't get a good sense of it in your piece, are the specific instances in the newsroom where this radical political agenda stopped you from doing the kind of serious journalism that you think the CBC should be doing and that you say you wanted to do. Can you provide some specific examples from your newsroom experience as to how this played out? I'm not going to say anything about my colleagues. And I am... Don't. Don't use names, but speak freely. Tell me about stories you wanted to tell that you couldn't tell and how the radical political agenda stopped you. Yeah. So let me first tell you what I think is going on. Let me tell you how I think this is operating and my experience of how this operates. I think what's happening is there are multiple pressures that are converging on the newsroom all at once. So first of all, we're in a pandemic. Current affairs is usually this massive mix of stories, right? We've been doing, you know, two stories on COVID a day for a really long time. People are burnt out, they are stressed out, they're exhausted, and they're quite isolated because everyone's at home. So there's that pressure. And then there's the pressure coming from Twitter. And that pressure, I just I really don't think we can overstate how powerful the sort of Twitter influence is 
on all of us and how it shapes the dialogue and how it sort of reinforces certain ways of looking at things and thinking about things. So there's the Twitter pressure. There's the pressure of being in the pandemic. There is the pressure from above. There are definitely a specific set of ideas on how to diversify the newsroom and how to diversify our guests. I will never argue against diversity. That is not something that I would ever argue against. This is about the how. And so these are specific ideas and they are, you know, baked now into our job interviews. They are baked into our mandatory trainings. They are sort of announced at big meetings. This is a specific way of approaching this. Tara, I absolutely want to speak with you about the diversity initiatives, but I'm still just trying to get purchase on your argument. What are the specifics? What are the specifics? Yeah, let me finish my point here. So you have the Twitter sort of pressure. You have the pressure from above. You have the precarious working conditions, which I know you know a lot about. There are a lot of people in the newsroom, and I have myself have been in this position where you're sort of auditioning for your job every day. You're not able always. And I personally do not feel silenced. I said a lot of this stuff in the newsroom. I've now said it in public and got a wide hearing. I do not feel silenced in any way. But there are, you know, particularly younger journalists who are working in these conditions, and it makes them, I think, incredibly nervous about expressing opposing views. So you have all of that. You have little appetite for certain stories, and that gets expressed, you know, and then you also have the self-censorship. And I, I think that, you know, when we when we see these big sort of things blow up in the public, like you've seen with me this last week, that there's really no incentives to having this conversation. You're here in the conversation. We're having the conversation. No, absolutely we are. So tell me how the woke radical political agenda of the CBC stopped you from doing stories you wanted to do. Tell me about the stories and tell me about the resistance that you met. Well, you know, it gets expressed in story meetings for sure. There are some guests that are, you know, considered problematic to book. Sometimes it's very subtle. There's just not an appetite or, you know, there's there's not the resources for that kind of story. I'm talking about an atmosphere in the newsroom that makes critical thinking really difficult and that makes it really difficult to represent a plurality of voices. And so, Can you substantiate that with yeah, examples yeah, from yeah. your experience? I am giving examples. So the, the examples in the piece that I think really matter are the Dave Chappelle example, and also uh, the vaccine mandate. So those are two stories where I really didn't see an appetite and I didn't see, um, I just didn't see a lot of opposing views on those. But you could also look at, you know. Did you work on those, on those stories? Pardon me? Did you work on the CBC's coverage of the Chappelle controversy? Was that was that something you worked on? Ontario Morning, no, we did not work on the Dave Chappelle story. The vaccine mandates, I absolutely worked on that story. And what was forbidden speech on the vaccine mandates? It's not about forbidden speech. This is not how it works. Or forbidden arguments or forbidden I'm not, guests. I'm not saying I'm being censored. That is not what I'm saying at all. Not you, but you are saying in this piece that certain ideas were not welcome, certain guests you just told me were not welcome. Like, just help me understand. This is about, uh, you know, a bigger picture of how this operates. This is about all of these different pressures all at once, contributing to an atmosphere that is really stifling and that does not encourage us to look at different perspectives and to go out and find different perspectives. That's what I'm talking about. You know, the CBC, they said, Tara Henley was a temporary employee. Mm-hmm who worked in Vancouver, then Toronto, as an associate producer for some of her local and regional radio shows. She also wrote a books column. And I took from that a pretty slimy suggestion that, like, who the fuck is she? 
yeah. to be saying these things. And I'm with you. I think that's gross. And I think that if you were a temporary employee after eight years, that's on the CBC, not on you. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you don't have the cred, and I totally accept that you are a CBCer who's now left and wants to tell the truth about what you experienced there. Mm -hmm. But as you present yourself as somebody who can speak holistically of the CBC, CBC is French, it's English, it's radio, it's TV, it's online, it's national, it's local. And when I read you criticizing the CBC for its lack of political coverage, I just want to know, which newsrooms are you basing this on? Have you ever reported for national news shows at the CBC? I have contributed documentaries to national news shows. Have you reported from uh, legislatures? Have you covered parliament or other legislatures or, or done investigative work? Just give me, give me a sense, because you don't talk about this part of the CBC or that part. Your essay is about the CBC. Mm -hmm. So have you done that kind of journalism? Look, this is a massive service, and there are lots of good people doing amazing work in this building. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ethos in the building right now, what people are telling me, what people are talking about. I'm not going to name names. I am not going to go ahead and betray confidences. This is something that has resonated with people all across the country. This is something I've been hearing from, from colleagues across the country. This is a conversation that we need to have. We're having it. And I'm asking you about your ideas. You wrote that to work at the CBC in the current climate is to abandon journalistic integrity. Mm -hmm. I hear you saying nice things about people who work there, but you went viral with an essay saying that everybody who works there has abandoned their journalistic integrity. That is not what I was saying at all. It's to work like, at the CBC no, in the no, current no. climate is to abandon journalistic this integrity. This is my experience of working at the CBC. I, Did you abandon your journalistic integrity when you worked there? I felt like there was many times as we were going through story meetings, as we were trying to figure out stories, as we were going through the process, that I felt like it was not possible to represent a plurality of voices. It was not. Can you give me an example of that happening? Yes, I can. I think that, you know, in, in terms of the race conversation, it, it's very hard to book a black conservative. It, it's often very hard to get someone like Jamil Giovanni on the air. Is there a CBC blacklist? Like, is there like you tried to get Jamil Giovanni on the air and you were told no? It's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. It's the conversations about who we're going to talk to and who we're not going to talk to. It, it's not as if there's a blacklist. This stuff is very subtle. And it, it's also something that I think that the audiences can pick up on immediately. I'm not arguing that we should not cover identity stories. What I'm arguing is, is we need to increase the perspectives that we are showing and that we are talking about. And right now, the way that we're approaching stories reads to the public very, very one note. And I think that what I heard this week, I think that's what people resonated with the most. You know, am I the perfect person to make this point? Probably not. But I don't think anyone else was going to make it. And so many people have thanked me this week for starting that conversation, for saying that there's something is going wrong at the CBC. I don't have all the answers about what it is. But I know that something is going really wrong, and I'm hearing it, and I'm seeing it, and I think we have to talk about it. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. 
Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. You say that you don't want to single anyone out, but in your piece, you are specifically critical about, uh, this is like what you wrote. I actually thought you made it up, not in a fabrication way, but you know how when people are making fun of PC culture, they say like, oh great, another story about Turkish asexuals and their non-binary pets. I thought you were doing that kind of a joke because you said that CBC is uh, shouldn't be prioritizing stories about, quote, non-binary Filipinos concerned about a lack of LGBT terms in Tagalog in their mother tongue. I thought that that was just sort of like a hypothetical example. But there is a specific story that you were criticizing there that was written by one of your colleagues that is about how... In Tagalog, there's a word for gay and there's a word for tomboy, but there's no word for any other type of identity. And I found that a really interesting piece. But you were saying that that's the the wrong kind of story. No, that's not what I was saying at all. I have no problem with that story being covered. It's the second part of that, when local issues of broad concern go unreported. What I'm arguing for is all the stuff that's not getting resources, all the stuff that is not getting delved into. We are not talking about the billionaires and the wealth gap. We are not talking enough about the opioid crisis. To do this in a substantiated way would be to do an analysis over time of where resources have gone or where the coverage has shifted or who they're hiring to do this in like a journalistic way, right? Another way to do this is from personal experience. I think that's valid. If you were to say, Jesse, I worked there for eight years and I've got 10 examples of this happening, I'm all ears, but I'm not hearing that. And to the idea that that story about Tagalog took something away from more serious stories, I guess more serious, or or, or these stories about the opioid crisis, that is a a binary that you 
suggest. That's your binary, that to do one of these has taken away from that. And I just don't know how you got there. Well, I, I think if you look at the public response, I think that I think that the public response is demonstrating that these editorial priorities are pretty obvious to the public. You're citing the tremendous public response to your story, which was like, I've never seen anything like it for a criticism of the CBC, and I'll admit to being jealous. Uh, but, but there's some nuance there that we need to get into. I don't think you can just say, the public shared my story a lot, so obviously it's true. If you're going to say that covering identity issues takes away from covering the opioid crisis, it's quite a claim. What do you think is wrong with the CBC right now? <laughs> How much time do you got? I, I have a whole podcast. Look, I, up till now, have been exclusively trying to learn more about your opinion. You're asking me mine. I felt like the big flaw in your piece was that you defined the CBC itself as being politically radicalized. I have never met a political radical in a senior editorial position at the CBC. My experience of the CBC was that there are a lot of great journalists there, but management, it's like almost like a government ministry. It's a big bureaucracy. Mm. So one day under Harper, when I worked there, the marching orders were, we need to balance this with conservative thought. Where's the conservative on this panel? We're gonna get beat up for being too lefty. And then the political winds change because you define as a CBC problem and you call it woke politics. There is a reckoning across newsrooms across the world right now. And the way in which CBC is interpreting that reckoning might, in fact, and where I feel like you have a point is that, that it does get interpreted into policy that becomes dogma that can get in the way of journalism. I am all here to listen to a CBC journalist who's had enough talk about how the intrusion of those types of initiatives has made journalism impossible. And I am, I'm just trying to get that from, if, if that's what you ha had happened to you, I want to hear it, but I, I, I'm, I'm trying to hear it. Like when you talk about the, the leadership not being to the left, I think we're kind of confusing the woke worldview with actual leftist politics. I would agree with you that there's not a lot of actual leftist politics going on, but this direction of the left is really, really influencing editorial coverage. It's influencing how initiatives get rolled out. I'm not the first person to raise this issue. This is happening in newsrooms all over the states. And when you say it's doing this, it's doing that, I still want to know what is it? What is the woke worldview? Well, let's talk about specific issues. Okay, so if we talk about obesity, there's a narrative on obesity. If we talk about, you know, gender issues, you probably have noticed that uh, the CBC has sometimes started using words like birthing person or, you know, that, that type of language changes. All of these stories have a specific kind of set of views that go with them. And they are the views that are most popular on Twitter. I just searched birthing person on CBC through Google and there's two hits. Yes. It came up, it came up twice. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> The diversity issue is the specific that you provide, and you particularly and specifically criticize the practice of having to fill out a form when you book a guest, mm -hmm. right, that uh, tells management if they were white or what. Now, you say that you're pro-diversity, you're a far-left journalist who's pro-diversity, but you're critical of this practice. I am. I want to play you... Something that a producer for The National, Anand Ram, had to say about the diversity efforts at the CBC. 
I looked at the program that I was working for, uh, and I looked at the sort of current affairs content that that they produce in news, and I just analyzed months of content, six months of content. It was a way in which we were telling the story of us. And so fast forward to 2020 and the, the world's uh, uh, wrapping itself around the awful tragedies of, of the, the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, everybody looked inward. And so we had to look inward. And so what I, that project that I did formed the basis and uh, brought together a group of like-minded people who were like, how do we do this bigger? Um, and that grassroots sort of collaboration led eventually to the start of 25 different pilot projects uh, where we tracked content across CBC News, CBC Radio. It told teams everything that they didn't know that they were looking for. And even though it was imperfect, it worked towards getting them to a place where they wanted to be, to learn more about who they talked to. They learned that their experts were uh, were leaning heavily male and white. So now we're doing more in, in phase two, where we're trying to get more information about uh, people with uh, disabilities. We're trying to get more information about uh, regional representation. And we're trying to figure out where we can better represent Canada because it's about accountability. Tara, I've been covering this for some time, and you can measure this. You can look at who's on the air, and then you can finally get statistics from some newsrooms about who's working in the newsroom. Mm. And it's conclusive. The makeup of the guests who are on the air and the faces you see and the voices you hear have not been representative of Canada. It's been overwhelmingly white on the CBC and on other media. And behind the scenes, especially at senior levels, it hasn't been representative of Canada. And my understanding of the process is that racialized journalists of the CBC fought very hard for that just to be acknowledged, for the CBC even to count those numbers, and then to move on to saying, okay, we have a responsibility to actually reflect the, the Canadians who pay for us to do this and to reflect their points of view and to not be a racist workplace. I don't know how you do that if you don't count who's on the air. Yes. So I respect that view and I have a, a different thought on that. So first of all, the process is very strange, right? Because you're booking a guest, but it wasn't a case where you could ask a guest how they identified because it wasn't a public project. And so you're kind of like rooting around on social media, trying to identify the race of the guest. I found all of that a very weird process. And it's not the point that I took from your essay. The point I took from your essay is that we shouldn't be tracking these things. Did I get you wrong? I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is the approach. I found it very, very weird to be profiling people by race. And I don't know that race is the best way for us to represent a plurality of views. So... What will happen oftentimes when we take this approach of trying to increase the racial diversity on the air, we're not increasing the diversity of thought on the air. You will still have you know, a lot of guests who are professionals, who are downtown Toronto, who have a certain kind of political leaning, who have views that are very much within the Overton window, meaning the very mainstream kind of views on issues. That's what I was trying to get at. It's like we are moving into a new way of looking at race right now, right? And again, I'm not the perfect person to talk about this. But when we talk about race, the thinking on race 
has really begun to shift, right? We have gone from that kind of MLK idea of colorblindness and judge me on the content of my character and not on the color of my skin. And we're now moving into this other idea where the way to best represent racial justice and, and diversity is to look at the exact demographics in you know a population and try to apply that demographics onto institutions. And you know, I, I'm I don't know. I don't know if that's the best way to go. It it doesn't it it doesn't necessarily make sense to me that we we take that approach. Well, first of all, you don't have to choose one or the other. When we made it that we're all colorblind here in the newsroom and we just put the best ideas on and we want people with great opinions, it ended up being a lot of white people. And that was a problem. And it was white people making that decision. So, yeah, I'm with you on having ideological diversity, but can I just get your position on this? Like, do we have an ethnic and racial diversity problem that we need to fix in media? Of course we do. Oh my God, of course we do. I would never say that we don't. Because if you just have a plurality of diversity of opinion on indigenous issues, four people talking about indigenous issues from different perspectives, and none of them are indigenous, I think that's a problem. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. I agree with that for sure. I think these are really tough issues to unpack. I think it's really, really difficult to figure out the way forward. I know everybody's trying to figure this out, but I do think that the voices we're hearing are all one note. And I'm hearing that from so many places all the time, that everyone is feeling that way. I, th I think we have to figure out how to do both. You talk about the public reception to your piece as if everybody was like, yes, we want to help fix the CBC with Tara. But I don't know if Fox News gives a damn about fixing the CBC or the, the right-wing British press. And when Aaron O'Toole messages you and says he wants to sit down with you, to get your thoughts on fixing the CBC, I know that that's a leader of the Conservative Party who wants to defund and gut the CBC. Yeah, well, let me just go on the record right now and say that I do not support that at all. Are you going to meet with Aaron O'Toole? I have not responded to that message. I am not the person to give Aaron O'Toole advice on the CBC, and I, I do not support the idea of defunding the police. Do you think that the audience that has rushed to celebrate your piece, and I noted that the hashtag DefundCBC trended nationally when your piece went viral. Do you think that the conversation that you're now going to be hosting on your podcast and your Substack is with an audience that wants to work with you to reform public broadcasting? Or do you think that you've kind of been embraced by the people who hate the CBC and want to see it die in fire? Did you read any of the comments on my Substack page? I did. I, I found them overwhelmingly thoughtful and overwhelmingly across the political spectrum and really wanting to have different conversations about all this. I can't be responsible for who on the political spectrum identifies with ideas that I'm putting out there and who doesn't. That's an unsustainable idea as a public person. The Conservative Party of Canada just sent out a fundraising letter referencing your piece. You can't be responsible for how an audience picks up what you're saying. But you're also not naive, and you're a media literate person who knows that there is a massive audience. The Canadians who feel absolutely opposed to the CBC, a lot of people are calling you a grifter or you're a yeah. scammer for trying to promote a podcast and a Substack. I know what it's like to leave the relative security of uh, an employer like the CBC to set it on your own independently. And, and I, I, I think, you know, you make a splash, you try to get an audience. But I just feel like you know a bit more than you're necessarily betraying when it comes to 
you are this far left journalist who wants to talk about the opioid crisis and labor issues and taxing the wealthy, but you've gone viral with an audience that I don't know that they're there for that. But that's, I guess- I think uh, you're making a lot of assumptions about the audience. Well, I, I, I just saw you on Sun News with a woke nightmare, and, I, and I, I have some assumptions about Fox News. Did you watch that interview? I did, yeah. I mean, first of all, I don't write that headline, but I, I thought that was a pretty reasonable interview. Well, I feel like Adrienne Batra agreed with everything that she read in your piece. It was, I think it was that kind of an interview. Tara, we've come into this sort of time in the world, this culture, we call it cancel culture or even woke culture. But so many organizations like the CBC, for example, preach this notion of diversity. But it's not just about diversity, how you look physically or what you may identify as or what your pronouns are. There's a diversity of opinion that seems to be lacking. You know, while there is broad societal consensus on some things, it's not the Twitter consensus. And I think that what's happening in most of media right now, there is this idea that what's happening on Twitter is what's happening in the public. And those of us that report know that that is- I read a piece that you wrote for the Globe and Mail about the former New York Times columnist, Barry Weiss. Mm-hmm. And you wrote about how she successfully converted her resignation letter that went viral into an $800,000 a year gig. Is that what you're trying to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I was trying to do that, do you think I would be writing about current affairs, nonfiction books? I mean, that doesn't sound like the biggest cash grab in terms of an audience, does it? How is the cash stuff going? How's the Substack subscription going so far? I have a, I, I do have a robust subscription. It's nowhere near what I would make at the CBC. And it, in terms of the grift, I mean, leaving a contract job and going out on your own, and particularly the kind of subject matter that I want to cover, the kind of conversations that I want to have, that is not guaranteed money anyway. And Barry Weiss is famous. I am not famous. That is two totally different situations. I did this because I really felt passionately that we needed to talk about this. Well, I do appreciate you talking to me. I don't mind being forthcoming about my take here. I feel sad that the way that you established this conversation with these diversity initiatives specifically singled out as part of the problem that you had to leave because of, you know who I hear the most informed and thoughtful and frustrated criticism of CBC's dogma and jargon and policies, it's from racialized journalists who are watching management stumble and get it wrong Mm. and only call up a certain black pundit when there's a black issue and shoehorn journalists behind the scenes into certain beats and stories. But in setting up the tiny bit of headway that has been made in terms of trying to diversify the CBC as the reason why the CBC sucks now, it feels like a lot of heat where there could have been light. I think the common ground here is that all of us want a better CBC. That's the common ground. Nobody is satisfied with where it is right now. And I think that's a really big problem. There's a lot of different concerns and a lot of different ways that we can move forward, but that's the issue. Nobody's satisfied with what we have right now. Tara, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Quick note to let you know that Canada Land did request an interview with the CBC representative. Specifically, we asked for uh, Nick Davis, who's in charge of diversity efforts at the public broadcaster. 
That request was declined, but their head of public affairs, uh, the head PR flack at CBC, Chuck Thompson, he did send us a statement in which he wrote that the CBC disagrees with Tara Henley, and he points to all of the journalism they did on the topics that she says they don't do enough of, and he pointed to the awards that they've won, and he said this. He said, we do not apologize for broadening and deepening our journalism by bringing more voices and perspectives to our stories. Our mandate calls for CBC to be predominantly and distinctly Canadian reflecting the regions and the multicultural and multiracial nature of Canada. Okay, that's Canada Land. If you like this show, please support it. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadaland.com and our network's other shows, The Backbench, Commons, Wag the Dug, everything is firing on all cylinders. Catch these shows in 2022 if you haven't yet. This episode was produced by Tristan Capicione with the help of Jonathan Goldsby and Cassidy villabrun Barakas. Welcome, Cassidy. Our senior producer is Sarah Larniuk. Kieran Oudshorn is our managing editor. Theme music is by so-called syndication is handled by CFUV. 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, we need your help to make it. Click on the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com join. You get a ton of stuff, including an ad-free premium feed of this podcast. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.